the Memorare. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to you, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To you I come, before you I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. All across the Gulf South, it's 7 a.m. Time to wake up on Catholic Community Radio. Good morning. You're listening to Wake Up on this beautiful Tuesday morning. We're so glad to have you join us today. I'm Gabby Smith, along with Jamie and Colano and Alicia Quibido. Hey, guys, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, good morning on this wet, uh, chilly Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. It's going to be nice this afternoon. We'll find out later more about that. Let's start this morning with prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Of God, eternal majesty, whose ineffable word the Immaculate Virgin received through the message of an angel, and so became the dwelling place of divinity, filled with the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant, we pray, that by her example, we may in humility hold fast to your will. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, St. Dominic of Silos, pray for us. Pray for us. We have a great show for you today, starting off with some events in our listening area. Damien will give you details in about nine minutes. Stay tuned for that. There's a lot of things going on. In 18 minutes, Dr. Paul Thigpen joins us. He's an author, and today he is going to be talking about his book called The Life of St. Joseph as Seen by the Mystics. So it's always great to have Dr. Thigpen join us on Wake Up. He's been with us numerous times to talk about his various books. This is going to be a really good conversation with Dr. Thigpen. In 35 minutes, Steve Ray joins us, Catholic convert and pilgrimage leader. And today he's going to be talking about Bethlehem, the date of Christmas, and the star. So he's going to be setting the record straight, talking about all of those questions we may have. And always a great conversation with Steve. You can basically just sit back and relax and just <laughs> listen to Steve for 10 minutes uh, and learn a lot of information. And in 48 minutes, we'll be talking to Ambassador Michelle Burkbau. She's the president of Holy Family Hospital Foundation. And today she's going to be talking about the Holy Family Hospital in Bethlehem. So we kind of have a little theme here. And every year we talk to Ambassador Michelle just to get an update on how the hospital is doing with the last couple of years with COVID. They've really been struggling. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what they have to say about how they did this year um, and if things were a little bit better for them. But it's always great to hear about this unique hospital over in Bethlehem with Ambassador Michelle. So looking forward to these great guests, great conversation, learning a lot today. And Damien, I don't know about you, but it's... uh, uh, you know, starting to feel like Christmas, like we've been talking oh, about. It's pretty heck. chilly out. Well, if that feels like Christmas yesterday, go. You can have it. Oh. I'm sorry, but uh, weather-wise, I'm talking about. It. I love I was Christmas. Say, hmm. Yesterday, okay. I'm glad you yesterday clarified. Yesterday was brutal. It was pretty. Bad. I mean, it was brutal. You couldn't even get out of your car without it was like Western going, Washington. What the heck is this? You yeah. know. 
Yeah. Anyway, today the rain's going to linger, but not very long. It's going to clear out by early afternoon, if not sooner. And um, that that helps us for tomorrow with the highs going to be in the mid-50s today, lows in the mid-40s. Winds are still blowing pretty strong, 10 to 20 miles an hour, gusting even higher along the coastline. Uh, then come Thursday, though, tomorrow, as I said, is going to be nice, not too bad. But Thursday, look out. The Arctic front is on its way, and it will enter southeast uh, Louisiana and Mississippi and all along the Gulf Coast. Temperatures, believe it or not, are going to drop from 67 for the high on Thursday all the way down to 18. Yowza. You heard me correct. And then winds are going to be 15 to 20 miles an hour, gusting up to 30. So you know why we don't live in Alaska. <laughs> Okay. Uh, temperatures right now, though, almost everybody hanging around the 50s. Baton Rouge, it's 48. Home of Thibodeau, the warm spot, 55. We've got more coming your way on Wake Up. Good morning on this fourth Tuesday of Advent. I'm Father Chris Decker, and today's gospel comes to us from Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said, and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. We've heard the gospel, and now we reflect. This gospel brings us to the wonderful events of the Annunciation to Mary and the moment of the Incarnation, when the divine Word of God assumed a human nature. Three points jump out to us. First, the angel Gabriel addressed Mary not by her given name, but by the state of her soul, full of grace. The Greek word used, kecharitomene, indicates the perfection of grace, that is, extensively from the moment of her conception and intensively to the fullness of her capacity. Some translations use the English expression highly favored one or something similar, which is a weaker rendering of the Greek text. The use of this word forms a biblical basis for the church's teaching regarding Mary's immaculate conception namely, that Mary was saved preventively from all sin from the moment of her conception by the merits of her divine Son. Mary's life was the perfect unfolding of the divine pattern in her, 
She is God's human masterwork. Secondly, Mary's question to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man, was not an inquiry about how babies are conceived, but rather her need for an explanation in light of her determination to remain a virgin during her marriage. And indeed, that is exactly what the angel Gabriel addresses. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Finally, Mary's enthusiastic response, Behold, I am the handmaid, literally slave girl of the Lord, should trigger in us the will to respond to God with the same determined submission, enthusiasm, and humility. Have a wonderful day. This is Jimmy Sagers. Thank you, Jimmy and Father Chris Decker. Good morning, everyone. It's Tuesday, December 20th. Welcome back to Wake Up. Ah, Damian Colano along with Gabby Smith and Alicia Quibito. And right now we have some events we want to share with you, even though uh, they may be a few weeks away. It's important to make a note. Uh, St. Catherine of Siena is offering a seven-week post-abortive support group. You don't hear about this too often, so this is rather rare. It's beginning January 13th. For those of you who have had an abortion or are struggling with the healing process, do you sometimes feel like you, you don't belong to the church because of your past abortion? Well, no matter how you feel, this is a healing journey for you, and this group is going to meet to help you uh, through that process. It's a 100% confidential, and know that you're not alone in the pain, the hurt, the confusion, mm-hmm. the sadness, mm-hmm. the grief. Uh, this post-abortive support group at St. Catherine Siena wants to walk with you on your journey. If you'd like to sign up, you need to contact Father Jeremy, Father Tim, or Father Andrew by calling the parish office, and uh, you got to do that by December 31st at St. Catherine Siena, and uh, that's Father Tim, Father Jeremy, or Father Andrew. Call the church office uh, before the end of the year. Wow, that's a beautiful ministry. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. Well, you may remember last week we had uh, Tyler with Capital Area CASA with us. That's Court Appointed Special Advocate uh, Group. And we just wanted to remind you that they were really in dire need of volunteers at CASA. So it is these volunteers speak up for children in the state foster care system and help them uh, to reach their forever families and just somebody to be there with them through that court process. Um, it is part of our pro-life journey and so again that's Capital Area CASA and you can get in touch with them you can check out their website they they train you but there are lots of wonderful things that you can do there and it's CASA BR that's C-A-S-A B-R dot org or you can email volunteer at CASA BR dot org Awesome. Well, we are continuing that Respect Life theme with this next uh, event and really just support group. Redbird Ministry is for grieving parents on January 11th. If you have lost a child through miscarriage, stillborn infancy, a young child, or even an adult child, please join Redbird Ministries at Our Lady of the Lake Church in Mandeville on January 11th at 6.30 p.m. on the second Thursday of every month in the cafeteria. Um, So it'll be the second Thursday of every month. 
month. They'll start on January 11th. Uh, and grandparents are also welcome. For more information, uh, you can contact Jewel Bahi, or I'm sure you can contact Our, Our Lady of the Lake in Mandeville. I'll post these events in the comment section for today's Facebook Live video. So you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Catholic Community Media, and click on Wake Up Tuesday. It is the first video you'll see on our page. It's the first pinned post. So if you have any questions, you can certainly call our, our office, our studio, and we'll give you these details as well. So lots of wonderful Respect Life uh, events and gatherings we've talked about today. You it's bet. a good theme. Yeah, and beginning the day after Christmas, 6 a.m., all the way through the 28th, uh, we are going to be playing real, truly beautiful Christmas music. We're preempting our regular programming for just Christmas music for those three days, the 26th, 27th, and 28th, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. each day, just to provide you some good spiritual motivation to get into the new year. Wake Up's coming back. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for December 20th. Today we celebrate St. Dominic of Silos. Today's saint was born into a peasant family in Spain around the year 1000. As a young boy, Dominic spent time in the fields, welcoming the solitude. When he grew up, he became a Benedictine monk and served in numerous leadership positions. Following a dispute with the king over monastery property, Dominic and two other monks were exiled. They established a new monastery in what at first seemed an unpromising location. Under Dominic's leadership, however, it became one of the most famous houses in Spain, reporting many healings. Wealthy patrons endowed the monastery, allowing Dominic to ransom Christians who'd been taken prisoner by the Moors. About 100 years after his death, in 1073, Dominic appeared to a grieving mother who'd made a pilgrimage to his tomb. He assured the young woman that she would bear another son, which she did. Her son became the Dominic, who founded the Order of Preachers, the Dominicans. From that time until 1931, the abbot's staff used by St. Dominic of Silos was used to bless the Spanish queen and was placed under her bed before childbirth. The new Saint of the Day app is available now for your smartphone or tablet. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. morning. It's 19 minutes after the hour. Thank you for tuning in to Catholic Community Radio. You're listening to Wake Up. We are joined this morning by Dr. Paul Sigpin. He is a best-selling author and award-winning journalist, and he's sharing his new book, Life of St. Joseph as Seen by the Mystics. Good morning, Dr. Sigpin. Good morning, Lisa. How are you? Wonderful. It's so great to have you on. Uh, it, you know, St. Joseph, it's, it's, there's so little that we know about him. It's such a silent uh, uh, character, if you will, in our story. Um, before we dive into the book, can you talk about uh, the difference between private and public revelation? Yes, of course. And that's really, you know, key to understanding uh, and appreciating these, these visions. So, um, the Church speaks of divine revelation in these two ways, and public or, or universal revelation is the revelation contained in sacred scripture and sacred tradition transmitted by the Church. So they, they form what we call one deposit of the Word of God, and this deposit was complete for the close of the, the apostolic age. There's no new public revelation. So all Catholics are obliged to believe public revelation, 
as it's authentically interpreted by the magisterium. But there are certain private or particular revelations that have come to individuals from God down through the ages of the Church. And the Catechism says they don't belong to the deposit of faith. It's not their role to improve or complete Christ's definitive revelation. They help us live more fully by it in a certain period of history. And so some of these private revelations have been recognized by the authority of the Church, and when it does, okay. she's just declaring that nothing in them is contrary to faith or good morals, and that can be read without danger and read with spiritual profit. But we're not obliged to believe this by any means, and we, we should never put them on the same level as the Gospel, or even necessarily as history, that these are history. Um, I like to, these visions in particular, I like to speak of them as, as a kind of sacred drama. Okay. They, uh, that the God has prompted. Yes. So, so you take this this private revelation of five mystics uh, to tell us more about Saint Joseph. So, can you tell us the process that you? Uh, how did you uh, decide to use um, that revelation from these particular five uh, mystics? And I believe they're all women, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The. Some of them, some of the mystics are are well known, and their their writings well known. So, like Blessed Anne, Catherine Emmerich, um, a German mystic, uh, Maria de Agreda, uh, another really well known mystic. So their their writings are well known, and they're primarily focused on Our Lady. But of course, you know, the the life of Saint Joseph is so intimately connected to that of Our Lady that there there's a, lots of material in those books um, having to do with Saint Joseph. Um, you do have have some others that, um, so Servant of God Maria Baish, she's an Italian, <clears throat> excuse me, her entire set of visions was, was kind of focused on St. Joseph. Um, <clears throat> so what I did is, um, I was already familiar with some of them, some of them were new to me. Okay. Uh, one of them was actually in, in, had not been translated to English, was in 17th century Spanish, so that was a challenge. I had to wow. work on, on my Spanish there. <laughs> it would be kind of like having in, not having English as your native language and, and having to read through King James, you know, yes. but <laughs> um, English, yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, it was it was a beautiful thing, and maybe maybe pay attention to every word. <laughs> and uh, so what I did is, is uh, drew from out of there um, material that I could, first of all, that I, I could integrate together um, to make a single narrative. And one of the reasons, that, one of the ways that we know that we can't take this as gospel or, or even as history is that they even disagree on some of their detail. And that's, that's fine. Um, what, if you read the introduction, there's more about how you know, theologians have proposed that these can still be from God to them, even if the details don't agree, because it's, God is kind of painting with a broad brush and, yes. again, speaking to them in certain ways, more like a poet than a, mm. you know, an historian. And... Um, and so I, I pulled out the passage I thought would be most uh, of interest, most telling of the character of St. Joseph. Uh, and, and, you know, at the same time, it's interesting, because they were women mystics, there are a lot of things that somehow, I, I guess, I don't sound sexist, but, you know, naturally mm-hmm. were of interest uh, to these women as they reported, like, a lot of details about the clothing and oh, things, yes. things like that. Yes, And yes. that was fine, included some of that. But but I also wanted men you know, to really res- be able to read this and 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 respond to this model of this man who was a man, even though he was he was silent in scripture, a man of action, a man of great faith, a man of great courage and fortitude. And so I've, I've tried to focus on passages that that reveal all that about Saint Joseph. What well, 
you know, take, take a man who, okay, for example, he hears, he hears the angel speak in the dream, get up mm-hmm. <laughs> and then go <clears throat> to Egypt because they're trying to get you, know, trying to kill the child and his mother. And what kind of man would it have taken to get up in the middle of the night, probably had the tools of his trade back at, you know, Nazareth somewhere. Yes, right. <laughs> and probably knew nobody in Egypt, had no connections, almost certainly didn't know how to speak Egyptian. Mm. Um, it's a pagan place where they're not going to be well received. The road there, even in the daytime, is full of dangers of, uh-huh. of thieves and, you know, vipers and, oh my goodness, scorpions, whatever. Okay. And say, what kind of man would it take to, to wake up and say, yes, sir. Exactly. Do that. And, and so these, these visions kind of have details of the kinds of things they would have encountered. And so what does that do? It presses you into the heart of Joseph. It, it uh, shows you his character and um, even more things that if we just think about it long enough, we begin to see. But in a vivid way, this is, I like to say, it's, it's like the best of, of visionary cinema, you know, sacred yes. cinema, kind of like Mel Gibson's movie. In fact, he actually, in his movie, some of the scenes he had that are from the Gospels, he drew from some of these same mystics. Oh, really? Oh, I wasn't right. That's so interesting because we know that in the Gospels, there are two Gospel writers who don't even make mention of Joseph. So there's so much untold about him that it's, it's fascinating to, to have these other perspectives and to learn more about him. So what I uh, one part that I loved about your book is you have a, a very dear dedication in, in the front of your book to your son-in-law. So tell us about that. What, wh- why did you think it was important to dedicate this book to your son-in-law? Well, I've, <clears throat> over the years, I've dedicated books to, to a lot of family members. I uh, had never dedicated to Michael Borja, is his name, Michael. And, uh, well, the dedication says it all. He's the devoted husband of my daughter. He's the loving father of my six grandchildren and an imitator of St. Joseph. He, too, um, can be very quiet and kind of in the background, very humble, but very hardworking, very desirous of protecting and you know, being the guardian uh, of his family, as St. Joseph was of, of his. And... Uh, yeah, you know, I think about St. Joseph, he's, he's one of the men, I think, that, that really strives to imitate him. And he loves St. Joseph, as I do. We've, uh, we've actually named our home up here in the mountains, the St. Joseph's Refuge. Oh, wow. And uh, he's my personal patron. When I became Catholic, I took him as my confirmation saint. That's beautiful. So there's a lot of devotion to St. Joseph yes. and our family, and, and I'm really grateful for my son-in-law. That's beautiful. We're, we're visiting with Dr. Paul Thigpen. He is the author of Life of St. Joseph as Seen by the Mystics. Uh, Dr. Thigpen, before we let you go, can you tell us what was something that stood out to you as um, maybe uh, the biggest surprise that you read about uh, one of the uh, mystics' visions about St. Joseph? Was there anything that, um, I'm sure you had a lot of aha moments. Can you share with us one of those? <laughs> oh, golly, there's so many. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, just something I hadn't thought about before were the scenes where Joseph is in his workshop with with Jesus growing up, and uh, the kind of the kind of interaction interaction first of all between Joseph and Jesus, but Joseph and and Mary as well on that, and just very touching things where the, the young boy's there trying to do everything he can to to help his father. And when he's picked up a piece of wood or a tool or something later, St. Joseph kisses it (laughs) because Jesus touched it. Or he'll send him to his mother to ask a question that he doesn't really need him to ask, but he knows that his mother is really missing Jesus and wants wants to be with him, even though Joseph himself wants to be with him. 
That's but he'll nice. he'll send him on an errand to his mother, and then she'll send him back because she knows Joseph is missing him. And it's uh-huh. it's such a you know it's uh, it's very touching, and 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 the scenes of of his death with Jesus there next to him and Mary, um, after a long illness, they all seem to have seen the same thing. Um, wow. Very very touching, very encouraging for me to anyone who's um, you know who has thinks about facing death themselves, but also the death of the loved one. Yes, so beautiful. Now, Dr. Thigpen, this book serves as a companion to the life of Mary as seen by the mystics, um, also uh, published by Tan. Is that correct? That's right. Raphael Brown, I think it was back in the 50s, first published that, but just you know, had this idea to do that. And that was very well received and so well, in fact, that, that several decades later, um, Tan picked it up and, and reprinted it. So Tan has that book, and then this one, uh, they asked me to do as a kind of a companion to that. So the two of them together make a very powerful reading. Wow, that's wonderful. Uh, let our listeners know, Dr. Thigpen, where they can pick up a copy of The Life of St. Joseph as Seen by the Mystics. You can go to tanbooks.com and get it there. And, of course, you uh, can go to your, your local Catholic bookstore to support them as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Paul Thigpen. Uh, wishing you and your family a very blessed Merry Christmas. Oh, the same to you, Lisa, and all your Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow, it's a wonderful book. Visit tanbooks.com. Just a beautiful way to, to get a little glimpse into the life of uh, St. Joseph. Such a beautiful, beautiful witness uh, there. So check it out. And you can also find uh, the book, the um, Mary, the, the uh, life of Mary as seen by the mystics there too. So uh, we'll stick around because our friend Steve Ray is visiting with us. He is a Catholic convert and pilgrimage leader. And I bet he's either in the Holy Land or about to be there. He's going to visit with us about Bethlehem, the date of Christmas and the star. So stick around. It's half past the hour on Wake Up. is 35 past the hour. Thanks so much for tuning in to Wake Up this morning. We're live on our YouTube channel. You can go to youtube.com and search Catholic Community Media and watch us live on there. And we're also live on our website at ccmedia.live and our Facebook page. So plenty of opportunities to tune in because Steve Ray joins us next. He's a Catholic convert and pilgrimage leader, and he always has wonderful things to say, new insights. I always learn something new when Steve is on. Hey, Steve, good morning. Thanks for being with us today. Good morning, Gabby, and I bet it's warmer down there than it is up here in Michigan. (laughs) I don't know. Don't put Uh, any money on that, Steve. (laughs) 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 We are staying warm, Steve, but, you know, it's always that time of year where we always learn something new, at least for me, about this time of year. And I love talking about things like Bethlehem, the star, and the date of Christmas. This is just questions that I think a lot of us don't know about, and I love hearing about them. So get us started, Steve, and, and kind to knock out those those misconceptions well um one of the things that i would say is that uh, bethlehem means house of bread just a few little fun facts ahead of time and mm-hmm. mary is on her way to with the bread of life in her womb and mary's on her way to the house of bread to deliver the bread I like to explain it that way. I think people enjoy that. But December 25th is the day that we celebrate Christmas. And uh, one of the myths is that it could not have been 
the day of the birth of Jesus on December 25th because, come on, it says that there are sheep out in the fields. And you can't have sheep out in the fields in the middle of winter time. So it obviously couldn't have been during December. It must have been some other time. Now, of course, whoever came up with that idea must have lived in Minnesota or <laughs> Michigan, which is why I mentioned the coldness, because we already have some snow on the ground here. And oftentimes in Michigan, we have you know a couple feet of snow by this time. But it, I've been to Bethlehem probably 150 times. I've been to the Holy Land 200 times, and, and most every time we go to Bethlehem. And the sheep are out in the field during December because they have to eat. So when you drive mm. from the uh, Jerusalem down the mountain, out of the mountains of Jerusalem down to the Jordan River, which is, by the way, the lowest place on the face of the earth, 1,250 feet below sea level, it's always warmer down there. In fact, even in December, we take our people swimming in the Dead Sea because it's warm enough, or at least it's not too cold, to go swimming in the Dead Sea. And we go down and renew our baptismal vows in the Jordan River. And on the way down, guess what we see? All the way down through the Judean wilderness as we see the little shepherd girls, the Bedouins, with their sheep out on the hillsides and in the valleys and the wadis along the way. So the the myth that they couldn't have been out in the fields at night because it was winter is a myth. And that has nothing to do with it at all. I, there, it does snow in Bethlehem. I've had snow fights with the little Palestinian kids at a Christian school there just for fun one time when it did snow, but it doesn't last very long. And the sheep have wool, right? Well, when we go outside in the winter, what do we wear? Wool coats. What do you think the sheep they have wool coats too? Do you think that they're going to say to their owners, oh, no, I'm shivering. It's way too cold to go out there. So the whole idea of them, and, they, and there are caves too, by the way. We're leaving for Bethlehem for uh, the Holy Land on Christmas Day. So we're, what we do is we take a group, and it's every Christmas break, it's called the Christmas Family Holy Land Pilgrimages. And families come together with their kid, their school kids and their college kids. And we usually have a bus mm-hmm. or two. This time we have two buses full of families with their young people. People spend $100,000 or more to send their kids away to university, and most of them lose their faith by the time they're done. Send them to the Holy Land, bring them there, and they'll never lose their faith because they'll be rooted in the real history and the truth. But we take them there. And uh, we will we have mass in a cave. Why a cave? Because the shepherds were out in the fields with their sheep, and at night they took them into caves. And this big cave is where the shepherds were when the angels came. It's called Shepherd's Field. It's also where baby, uh, young David, I should say, the ruddy young man, handsome young man, was out taking care of the sheep, what, where he wrote the 23rd Psalm. I'm convinced he's out there in this place saying, oh my goodness, the, the Lord is my shepherd. He does for me what I do for my sheep. And this there's a cave out there, and it's now a church, and we have mass in there. And the shepherds would take their sheep into caves at night. It was always warmer in there. And in the summer when it's very hot, they take them into caves in the evening because it's cooler. So so the myth that the winter would have precluded the date of December 25th is a myth. It could, it, it, I'm not going to get into is the date the 25th. There's a lot of good reasons to believe it is. Um, one other thing, though, is they say that it was a pagan holiday. And so that they mm-hmm. that really Christmas is a pagan holiday because it, they put it on a pagan day. No, what happens is Christianity sanctifies paganism. It, 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 when I became a Christian, the church didn't become pagan because me, a pagan, came in. Rather, just like Jesus hugging the lepers, Jesus doesn't become a leper. He heals the lepers. And so when the church takes a holiday and it redeems it and makes it its own, it doesn't become pagan. Rather, it turns that pagan holiday into a Christian holiday and redeems it. 
there's a lot of myths about it. Jimmy Aiken, <laughs> by the way, has a great blog on it. Now, anything, you wanted to talk about the star. Yes, I did. I Because we have so many, we put the star on the top of our tree. We see the significance of the star. Uh, we could do, have two hours just talking about the significance of the star, uh, kind of dive deeper into the history and the significance of that this time. Okay, I'm going to make it real simple. The, there's a lot of, um, well, one thing, I, this is kind of funny, but one thing we know about the wise men, we don't know how many there were who saw the star. Um, it could have been sometimes tradition has said two and sometimes up to mm-hmm. ten. It doesn't say how many there were, just says they brought three gifts. So we assume one wise men brought one of the, each of the three gifts, but we don't know. One of the things we do know is that they had good eyesight. <laughs> I say that because if you took me out tonight to look up at the stars and to try and figure things out without my glasses on, I wouldn't do very well <laughs> without a pair of binoculars and my glasses. And most people, when they get older, they have, their eyes start to go on them. They have to start wearing glasses or contacts mm-hmm. or get the LASIK surgery. So one of the things we do know is that they had good eyesight because they were able to look up at the stars, the astronomers, and be able to figure things out. But that's just an aside. There's a lot of talk mm-hmm. all the time. People try to reduce the miracles of the Bible into a physical phenomenon. For example, oh, well, Jupiter and Saturn and Uranus all at that point in time had a conjunction and it was a bright star and that's what they saw. Or there's, I, I believe, believe me, I've, I've read on this. There, there's a hundred different theories of what this was. But I am gonna make it very simple. It says the star preceded them and led them and then it stopped above where the child was. That's why we put a star on our tree or why there's a star over the manger scenes that we have on our kitchen table is because it, it doesn't, we don't have to come and find some naturalistic as though it wasn't a miracle that they saw these conjunction mm-hmm. of stars and therefore they followed those and it happened to be just at the right time. The fact is it said the star moved. And it came and it stopped mm-hmm. over this place. So we don't know what the star was. It might have been a bright angel. There was even some traditions of that. It could have been a bright angel that was leading them that looked like a star. And, but what it is, it's a supernatural event. And I think that we as Catholics ought to hold to the fact that we believe in the supernatural and we don't have to just fall back on some naturalistic explanation. It's, it's like when it says that the, uh, the, uh, when Moses crossed the Red Sea, it says that the water came back and covered over that area and all the Egyptian army was drowned in the water. And they would like to say, well, mm-hmm. it was a, because it was a certain time there was a, a low tide. And so, and my son, <laughs> when he was three years old, four years old, when we were there in Egypt and we showed, we were talking about this at the place where it happened. He said, well, dad, if it mm-hmm. was just a natural thing, like a low tide, or some wind blew and it it just happened. He said, then the real miracle was that the Egyptian army drowned in two inches of water. In other yeah. words, yeah. if you if you try to come up and just yeah. dismiss the supernatural, then, then you're dismissing God's activity among his people and in his mm-hmm. and the whole drama of salvation. God is involved in this. He can make a special star or a light that draws them and brings them and then stops over the manger so they know they're in the right place. So I don't think we need to look for all these different natural. They're fun and they're interesting, but I don't think we need to look for naturalistic explanations mm-hmm. other than the fact that God did a miracle. 
Absolutely. Steve Ray, Catholic Convert and Pilgrimage Leader. You can go to catholicconvert.com to learn more about him. Steve, thank you so much. Have a blessed rest of your Advent and a Merry Christmas to you and your family. Safe travels. Thank you, too. We're leaving for Israel on Christmas Day. Can't wait. God bless you. Oh, my goodness. How wonderful. <laughs> Stay with us. We will learn more about the Holy Family Hospital in Bethlehem. It's 45 past the hour. town of Bethlehem. How appropriate, because right now we are getting ready to speak with Ambassador Michelle Burke-Bow, president of the Holy Family Hospital Foundation, and we're going to talk about the Holy Family Hospital in the town of Bethlehem. Good morning, Ambassador. Good morning, Damon. Nice to hear your voice. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on our show. And more importantly, I can't wait to hear a little bit more about the things that are going on with the Holy Family Hospital. But before we get into that, share with our listeners who may not be familiar with the hospital and the foundation and its significance and how that Catholic hospital is in the heart of Bethlehem of all places. Well, our hospital is just 1,500 footsteps from the birthplace of Christ, just down the road from where Jesus was born. Last year, we delivered 4,646 babies, and we're able to deliver these beautiful services because we have a foundation in Washington, D.C. that helps spread the good news and collects donations to support life, peace, and hope in the Holy Land. Yes, the hospital is a shining light, so to speak, for the poor and the at-risk families in that region. Uh, how critical is the need? Because from what I've read, is it still this way, 70% unemployment in, in Bethlehem in the region? You know, I just came back from Bethlehem two days ago where I was spending about a week. And pilgrimages are starting to come back, but as as always— they first stay in Jerusalem, and only if all of the hotels in Jerusalem are full will they start to um, stay in Bethlehem. So this past week, Bethlehem was really quite empty. I think the whole time I was there, I saw one tour bus. Um, I'm hearing that it's going to get a little busier this week, but it's going to take a generation for Bethlehem to recover hmm. from the economic disaster of two full years with no pilgrimages. It really um, just cut the economic feet um, from underneath Bethlehem. So where do the funds come from, or where do you need them to come from? Well, our funds actually come from all around the world, but one of the places where they come from, which especially warms my heart, is parishes across the country. We have a program, we call it the Angel Tag Program, where everybody can come and be an angel in Bethlehem. And we send these little tags out ready to hang on parish Christmas trees. And parishioners and friends just take a tag. There's a picture and a story and an envelope on the back. And they can pray for the hospital and make a donation um, just by simply filling out the envelope with credit card information or putting a check in the envelope or nowadays very modern using the QR code. <laughs> and the funds go to make sure that we can take care of older women who they weren't able to leave their homes because they were suffering from complications of menopause or for women delivering babies or babies being cared for in our NICU. We have the only NICU in the region 
that mm. can care for babies born before 34 weeks. And when I was there last week, we had two babies who were born below a pound, two at a little above a pound, and a couple mm. of three pound, a couple of two pounders. So the um, the funds are just used right away to uh, be able to help us continue our work in defense of life of the most vulnerable. Yeah, and that's because, I guess, the moms are malnutrition, so to speak, huh? Well, the pandemic really did um, hurt the um, nutritional status of women. Um, like you suggested, the babies are being born much smaller. This year, we actually had twice as many um, premature babies, that is, babies born before 32 weeks. And it's really a, um, a real strain on the system. We've had... Um, more than three babies spend over six months in our NICU, and you know that um, in a country where there isn't health insurance, something like that is just um, unattainable for families. And we've actually had sweet grandfathers come and say that they have to take the babies home because they're poor and they could never afford the luxury of a NICU. And when we can tell them, well, actually, we have a social worker, two social workers who can give the fees on a sliding scale so that a poor family wouldn't have to be further impoverished by the care. They stand up tall and they're so happy and we never turn anyone away for need or creed. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, St. John Paul II had a major role in reopening the hospital. Uh, and, and now it's uh, under the operations of the Order of Malta. Uh, I find that interesting. Share with us, because the hospital actually began in 1888. Is that right? Absolutely. And it ran for about 100 years as a French field hospital operated by the Daughters of Charity. And in about 1985, they were no longer able to sustain the hospital. They had just a small portion of it open, but they were worried to lose the Christian presence right there in Bethlehem. It's a huge plant beautiful building. And so they did what the good sisters do. They picked up the phone and they called His Holiness and um, true to himself, JP2 said, be not afraid, the Order of Malta will do it. They've been running hospitals for a thousand years. Wow. And his next phone call was to the Grand Master of our Order, Fra Andrew Barty. And Fra Andrew immediately replied, of course, Holy Father, we will be honored to run this hospital. But because we've been running hospitals for a thousand years, we have to do an impact study. We have to know what kind of hospital. And lo and behold, the study showed that what was needed in the little town of Bethlehem was an infant and maternity hospital. Yeah. And recently I've been thinking about that, and I have a feeling JP2 knew that, but he was being respectful <laughs> and he wanted us to do it professionally. But in his heart, he knew. And there's something coming up that is so exciting, and I know it's just making JP2 smile because he's the grandfather of our hospital. Uh, this winter... No, go ahead. Talk about the our, growth. Yeah. Yeah. So this winter, we're going to deliver... I'm so excited about it. We're going to deliver our 100,000th baby wow. since February of 1990. Awesome. 100,000 oh points of light, just beautiful children... Um, all across the Holy Land. And it's all thanks to John Paul II, who gave us this gift, um, particularly for the Americans. He wanted the fundraising to be run from the United States. But really, for our listeners and our friends all across our country and 
even in Hawaii and Alaska and Maine and Florida, who send us these donations that allow us to celebrate life in the very place where Jesus was born. We're speaking with Ambassador Michelle Bergbow, president of the Holy Family Hospital Foundation, and talking about the Holy Family Hospital in Bethlehem. Uh, Michelle, real quick, where can folks go to get more information and to make a donation, especially this time of year? People are in a giving mode. Yes, they can make a donation, and they can print a card, which they can give as a gift. And I know as we're getting closer to Christmas, everybody's thinking about gifts, but they can go to birthplaceofhope.org. That's birthplaceofhope.org, and learn more about the beautiful stories of the Holy Land, of the mothers and the babies and the fathers, and make a donation, pray for our good work, and give special thanks for John Paul II for this gift that he gave to all of us across the United States. Amen. Michelle Burke thank you for being with us on Wake Up. God bless you, and have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, and God bless you. Thank you for helping me to share the good news. Oh, thank you, you bet. Oh, all right. That's awesome. Wrap up our day, as always, with prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Dominic of Silos, you appeared to the mother of the great St. Dominic to foretell her son's birth, and she named him after you. As a testimony of your holiness, we ask that you intercede for us in our prayers and petitions placed on the altar of the Most High, in Jesus' name, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you back here tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Time. Johnny Aver joins us with a gospel reflection, Peter Finney with the Clarion Herald, and so much more. Have a wonderful Tuesday. God bless. Wake Up is a production of Catholic Community Radio.